If you have your Bibles, Proverbs and Psalms, we're going to be in both Proverbs and, and uh, the book of Psalms. Proverbs 70, uh, Psalm 73 and Proverbs 13. You've heard the story of Snow White. Many of you have seen the Disney movie Snow White. But uh, if, uh, if you've read the original and the Grimm's fairy tale, you'll know that the story of Snow White is a little darker. It's a little, uh, a little scarier. In the original story, the queen comes uh, to, uh, it's not a mirror, but for our sake, uh, a mirror uh, as on the wall. And she asks, just like the movie, who is the fairest of them all? Who's the fairest in the land? And the, and the mirror says to the queen that you are fairer than anyone here, but fairer still is Snow White. And, and being the second fairest in the land was not good enough for the queen, and so it sends her into this rage. Uh, the, the book says that the queen had no peace day or night. Uh, and so she takes one of her knights, and she tells the knight to go take Snow White out into the woods to kill her and to bring her heart back as a trophy and a sign that he did indeed kill her. Instead, the, the, the knight takes her out into the woods, can't do it, and so he brings the heart of an animal back instead. The queen doesn't know this. She's been tricked, and so she's so happy that she's now the fairest until she asks the mirror again who is the fairest of them all, and the mirror says, it is still Snow White who lives now in the forest with the dwarves. She's still the fairest. And the queen's envy allowed her no rest. As the book goes on, two more times she tries to have Snow White killed and two more times she fails. The fourth time she asks the mirror and still she's not the fairest. And she says at this point in the story, Snow White has to die even if it kills me. She is so poisoned by her envy that she's willing to die. As long as Snow White can't be the fairest, she's fine. So she poisons Snow White with the apple. And when she thinks Snow White is dead, the book says, Then her envious heart had rest, as much as an envious heart can have rest. Envy dominated the queen's thoughts in her life, leads her to attempted murder, consumes her, and destroyed the good life she could have had all for nothing. See, envy is something that we all struggle with. We might not think we're like the queen from Snow White, but we're more like her than we dare think. The book of Proverbs and Psalms, however, I think gives us some wisdom for how to deal with the sin of envy. So first, what is envy? What is the sin of envy? You probably know the word envy because you've probably heard it as one of the seven deadly sins, which I'll remind you the seven deadly sins is not in the Bible. It's not a biblical concept. Uh, it, was a, it was something that the Catholic Church invented in the 6th century. Uh, it, it's helpful, but not in the Bible, just to be clear. Uh, but envy is one of those. To envy is to covet, right? It's to want something someone else has, uh, but it's more than that. To envy is to have jealousy in your heart, but it is still often more than jealousy. So what is it? I think it has two sides to it. Psalm 73, verses 3 uh, through 5 says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. You see, first, on the first half, envy is wanting someone else's life. Envy is wanting someone else's life. The writer here says that he was envious of the arrogant. 
Now, it's not the arrogance that he's envious of. It's not the guy's arrogance that he desires. But rather, it is, I read a little bit of it, but it goes on. It is his prosperity, right? It's, he talks about their wealth and their health. He, they, they don't grow, they, they don't, uh, what does it say? It says, um, they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble, right? So it's their wealth, it's their health, it's their lack of pain. He, he wants this type of prosperity, and we know this feeling all too well. We see other people's lives and, and we look at them and, and everything they got going on and our hearts long for what they have. Right? We look at them and we say, man, if I just made money like they made money, if I just had a house like their house, if I had kids that behaved and listened like their kids behave and listened, if I had a spouse that was like that, boy, then would I be happy and have enough. We do that. We look at other people and think, man, if I could have that. And it creates in us this deep discontentment in our hearts, this desperate longing for what other people have. And therefore, we look at all the things we have and we think it's all rubbish. Envy is instead of praising what someone else has done or accomplished or has, instead of looking to a friend and go, man, I'm so thankful that you got that. I'm so glad that you have that or whatever in your life. Envy, instead of praising someone else for what they have or have done, uh, it is quite the opposite. Because the second side is envy says, if I can't have it, they shouldn't have it either. It's not just that I want what you have. It's that if I can't have it, I don't want you to have it either. I don't want you to have it either. In envy, we don't just want other people's lives. We resent them and begrudge them for the lives they have that we want and don't. In praise, we rejoice in what others have. We're like, wow, that's so great. You're so talented. I could never do that. I'm not talented like that. Man, you're really awesome. That's so great that you have that or that's going so well for you. I'm so thankful for that. In praise, you recognize people for what they have and what what, what they're doing that's better than you. You rejoice with and for them. But in envy, you see people who have it better than you and you resent them for it. And you're angry about it and you hate it. Envy... Is being unhappy at other people's happiness. Envy is weeping because other people are rejoicing. Envy is being unhappy at other people's happiness, and it is weeping because other people rejoice. It also works in reverse. When the people who are above you, who have the things that you long for, when those people fall down, when those people have something in their life and they come crashing down, you love it. When your coworker gets the promotion you wanted and they're rejoicing, you weep. But not only do you want it, you don't want them to have it either. You see, envy is a stingy, demanding master. It is stingy because unlike other sins, there's absolutely nothing pleasurable about experiencing envy. Right? Most sins bait the hook, right? There's, there's, there's a hook, but there's bait on it. There's something alluring about it, right? Lust offers excitement and escape. Greed promises wealth and pleasure. Gossip promises power and, and, and participation in the inner circle. And many sins are at least temporarily pleasurable. And that's why we do them, right? Because they feel good. But with envy, it is all hook and no bait. 
There is no upside to envy. Not even a small or temporary spike of guilty pleasure. Nothing. That's why no one consciously plans or schemes to envy as you might plan or scheme to satisfy, say, your lustful desires or your greedy desires. You might plan those, but no one plans envy. We feel envy in spite of ourselves, even though we don't want it, it is the great unsought sin. It's the great unsought sin. And yet, it has been called one of the seven deadly sins because it is one we are all acquainted with. It is all one we've done and continue to do. So that's what envy is. It's both wanting what you have and if I can't have it, begrudging you for it and wanting you to not have it. But two, why are we envious? Why are we envious? There is no doubt that envy is a sin we all struggle with. It is the reason credit cards are maxed out. It is the reason divorce rates are through the roof. It is the reason houses only get bigger and bigger. It is the reason Pinterest exists and why it's so popular. A website to show you everything that everyone else has and what everyone else has done so that you can browse through to see everything that you haven't done and don't have and figure out how you might have it too. See, the first, first way is envy is a marketing strategy. Why are we envious? Because it has been marketed to us. Companies want to sell you their products. They spend millions of dollars simply learning how to advertise to you. Before they spend money on advertising, they spend money on how to advertise to you and what is going to make you purchase their product. And how is it that they often sell you their product? Through envy. They use models to show you how stunning you could look if you bought that dress. How stunning you could look if you bought that suit. How good it would be to drive that new car. How cool you would feel if you had that new car. They convince you that this is what everyone else is doing. Don't be like those people who've missed out. Be like everyone else who has this thing. Don't be like the guy whose yard has all the dandelions in it and all the bald spots in the grass. Be like the guy who everyone drives by and goes, man, look at that yard. They know how to market to you. They market with envy. You know it's worked because after you watch a commercial or an ad, your curiosity is pink and you think, you know what? Maybe I should look into that. Maybe I should get that. Maybe I do need that. Maybe I don't want to be like those people. We have an entire economy built on, a, on marketing envy to everyone. You need something bigger, shinier, and more. And so we buy, 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 buy. Where do I swipe? Thinking that getting this will give me what they promised, a better life, happiness. And it never works, and so we just keep buying. Secondly, envy is fueled by comparison. And I think this is the biggest one. I'm going to spend a minute here. Envy is fueled by comparison, which social media amplifies. Envy has always been fueled by comparison, but today in our world, it is amplified by social media. Guys, I use social media. I enjoy social media. Social media can be a good thing. Uh, it can be used for much good. It can be enjoyed. Uh, like, I love knowing what you had for lunch yesterday, you know? Like, I enjoy that. Like, I love seeing what you have for lunch. It doesn't make me envious at all. Maybe just a little bit. But I enjoy it. There are many problems, however, that come from social media. And one of the biggest ones is its ability to force you to compare your life to everyone else's life that you're scrolling through. Before social media, the only way that I knew you went on vacation is if I had a close personal relationship with you and you happened to ask me to watch your dogs while you were gone, right? That's the only way I knew. 
right? Or your kids didn't show up to the ball game because you were gone. And I didn't really know anything else about it. I didn't see the pictures. I didn't see the memories. I didn't hear about it unless I was really close to you. And if I was close to you, then it probably wouldn't have been a big deal. But now I know about everyone's vacation. I know about everyone's new car. I know about everyone's new house. I know about everyone's new haircut. I know about everyone's new clothes. I know all the stuff you got and everything. And the, the, the harder part about that on social media is that uh, what we don't put on social media are issues. You know what you're not posting on social media? Your problems. Your dirty laundry. Now, some people do, and that's a whole different sermon, a whole different problem in and of itself. Right? When you throw up all your emotional baggage on social media and you're like, what are you doing? Right? Different problem, different sermon. But most of us, we put our best foot forward. We took 50 family photos, got one good one, and that's the one we posted, right? We post about how wonderful our wives are, how wonderful our husbands are, how hardworking our husbands are, how caring they are. We post about how perfect our parents were and how they brought us up on Mother's Day and Father's Day, how proud of our kids we are and how great and wonderful they are, how much our best friends mean to us. We post all of this stuff, and it's our best foot forward, and it's all fake. It's not that there isn't a grain of truth to it. There certainly is a grain of truth. But your husband is great sometimes. Your wife is awesome sometimes. Your kids can be good sometimes, but it's only a kernel of the truth. The reality is life is messy. Marriage is hard. Kids are crazy. Right? Vacations, sometimes it rains the whole time, and you just sent the picture of the one sunny day you had. But yet we write paragraphs and gushing about, uh, about this situation or that situation. But it does not accurately communicate reality. It doesn't capture the fight we had the night before. It doesn't capture the yelling. It doesn't capture the tears. It doesn't capture the desperate prayers and the heartache of life. But do you know who doesn't see all of that stuff? All of us who's watching your social media. All we see is the snapshot and the post about how everything is perfect. And even in the back of my mind, when I know your life can't be perfect, we see the snapshot, we see the caption, and we can't help but think, man, if I could just have a bit of that. If I could just have a little bit of that. If I could look like that in a bathing suit. If I had a husband or wife, a kid, a house, whatever, like that man, would I have a better life? You see, envy leads to quick discontentment with your life. And it's not a one-off thing. It's happening over and over and over as you scroll through whatever social media you like, the envy just builds. And you don't even know it yet. You don't even realize the seeds of envy that get planted in your heart and as they grow and grow and then wreak havoc in your life. So let me give you one piece of practical wisdom that I think will be helpful on this family Sunday when all our kids are in here about envy and social media. Parents, this actually goes beyond envy, and so, but I think it's true on multiple levels, but just on the envy level, let me say this. Parents, the best thing you can do for your kids, number one, don't let them have a smartphone for a really long time. Amen? My ears are clogged. I got double interference. I can't hear anything, so y'all got to say amen louder. Don't let your kids have a smartphone for a really, really long time. But number two, and maybe more importantly, don't let them have social media until they're 16, 17, or 18 years old. Hey, there we go. Most adults are not emotionally mature enough or spiritually mature enough for social media. I know. I've watched it happen. 
And how on earth do we think our 10-year-olds are emotionally and spiritually mature for that? I believe with all my heart we are going to look back, maybe 20 years from now, 30 years from now, I don't know how long, but we're going to look back at some point on our decision to allow children to have smartphones and social media the same way that we look back today on allowing 13-year-olds to smoke cigarettes in the 60s or 70s or whenever that happened. I think we're going to look back like we do now and say, how in the world do we think it was okay for 13-year-olds to smoke cigarettes? How is it okay we advertise this to them? We're going to look back and go, how in the world do we think it was a good idea to give this to our kids? Because it destroyed them. Do you know that all of the executives of the big tech, big tech companies don't let their children have the tech they sell or be on social media because they know what it does? Since Instagram came out, suicide rates among preteen girls is up over 200%. You want to know why? Lots of reasons, but two big ones. Comparing my body to their body, my life to their life produces envy that then leads to depression. If only I could look like those other girls, then I'd be happy. If I could get as many comments and likes as those girls, I'd be happy. If I could just have their life, I would matter, and they'll never get there. And so they never are content with their own life and what God has given them. And so they don't think they matter. They don't think they matter, and so you do the math. What happens next And they don't think they matter? We're driven by envy, by marketing, through comparison, through social media. But envy at its root, finally, envy at its root is a distrust in God. Envy at its root is a distrust in God. It's a distrust that God is working for your good. At the heart of envy is the belief that what God has given you is not enough. You look around at what you have, at your family now, your friends now, and you're discontent. It's not enough. You want more because a little more would make you happy. And at its root, you blame God. You don't trust God to give you what you need the most, and so you take matters into your own hands to get what you think you need. And at its core, we are envious because we think that God is holding out on us. We think that God is holding out on us instead of realizing that he's bringing us what will make us ultimately joyful and happy. He's doing what will bring us the most joy, but we think he's holding out on us, so we take matters into our own hands and get the things we think will make us happy. Because we look at everyone else as happy, we think the grass is greener over there, so let me get that. And God is up there saying, you're destroying your life. You're destroying your life. Don't take that thing. I know you think you want this thing because it's shiny, but it'll destroy your life. It'll make you miserable. You're blind. Open your eyes to see the amazing things I've put right in front of you. So I think that's part of why we're envious. Number three, who does envy hurt? Who does envy hurt? It, it hurts mostly you. hurts mostly you. It does poison your relationships. It can cause hurt in those around you. But the big thing I want us to see with a short amount of time is that envy sucks the joy out of your life. It sucks the joy out of your life. Remember, it's, it's all hook and no bait. and it, it sucks the joy out of your life. What envy does is he blinds you to the blessings of God that he's already given you. You have all of these things in your life that are good things. You have all of these blessings. You have these things that if you weren't so busy comparing your life to others and being envious over them, you would actually really, really enjoy the things that you have. You have things in your life right now that have the ability to bring you happiness. You have gifts given to you by God meant to bring you enjoyment. But because of your envy, not only do you not enjoy them, you don't even see them. You don't even see them. Right in front of you. And so you miss out. And the ironic thing is that those people whose lives that you so desperately want, 
those very people are probably just as envious of over other people's lives. Because you only see the picture-perfect snapshot that they want you to see, and it looks amazing. But they are living their life, possibly even looking at you, thinking, man, I wish I had what they had. And I've literally seen this happen, where somebody is envious of someone else, and you talk to the other person, and they're envious back at them. It is amazing to think that you could be so discontented with your own life, and yet someone else desperately wants what you have. And you don't even understand what you have. It happens all the time. And what does that tell us? What should we learn from that? That the grass isn't greener on the other side. That another life won't complete you. That you can open your eyes and thank God for the amazing blessings right in front of you and actually enjoy them. Because if you don't, envy sucks the joy out of everything around you. So how do we stop this? How do we stop being envious? First, like the old hymn says, we need to count our blessings. Name them one by one. We need to count our blessings. When you take your eyes off of the things uh, that you think you want, when you take your eyes off of out there, off of the comparing, take them off of there, and you slow down and take inventory of the things in your life, the things you have, the blessings around you, your friends, your family, your talents, your home, all of it, when you slow down and actually notice the things that God has given you, when you st- you'll, stop be- you'll slowly stop being envious of those other things, and you'll slowly begin to enjoy the things right in front of you. Like when you actually take time to pray and say, God, thank you for my wife and for how kind she is and sweet she is and loving she is. Thank you for my husband who does whatever he does. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for this house that we have. Thank you that my car runs. When you start praying and counting your blessings and thanking God for them, it will take your eyes off of across the street of the things you want, and it will keep them right here. And then you'll begin to notice, oh, my gosh. As I'm trying to count my blessings and list them, I realize there's a long list of things I have in my life to be thankful for. And it will slowly rot envy. Proverbs 23, verse 17. Let not your heart envy sinners. But continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. What does it mean? What does it mean for you to, be, uh, to, to live in the fear of the Lord? Does it, mean to, does it mean you need to be scared of God? No, that's not what it means. Psalm 73, 16 says the same thing but a little bit differently. It says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until... I went into the sanctuary of God. It seemed to me a wearisome task how to understand this until I went into the sanctuary of God. The psalmist was struggling with envy, and it wasn't until his gaze went from horizontal to vertical that he got perspective. It wasn't until he looked up to the Lord that he got perspective. You see, you have to worship God regularly. You need to count your blessings, you have to worship God regularly. See, when you regularly worship God on Sunday morning, in your home, in your car, through singing, through prayer, through scripture reading, through meditation, you will be captivated and you will stand in awe. Like when you actually really worship, right? Not just like, I got to get my Bible verse in for the day. But when you slow down. Slow down and read the scriptures and pray and be in the presence of God. Come into the sanctuary of God. Be in his presence. You will see the awe and wonder and majesty and beauty and splendor of such a great God that you get to know, that you have a relationship with. 
And that God-like perspective puts everything else in your life in perspective, and it kills envy. So you got to look up. But Proverbs 23, 18 also says, Surely, don't call me surely, surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. The prosperity gospel preachers are really bad and really wrong and really damaging to Christianity in many ways. Promising health and wealth and a good life to those who have enough faith or give enough money is really bad theology. But they're not completely wrong. Their issue isn't one of content. Their issue is one of timing. You see, a day is coming when all the desires of your heart will actually finally be met. There is a future that if you belong to Jesus, not because you've given enough money or or had enough faith, but if you belong to Jesus, he's gone to prepare a place for you. He's gone to prepare a place for you into which your heart will finally rest. You're a place where your heart can only begin to imagine the glories and the joys and the delights that are going to be for us to enjoy. We don't have to be envious of such small treats now. For the true delights are just around the bend. And our Savior has gone to prepare them for us. You see, finally, we've got to not only count our blessings and look up and worship, we've got to look forward to the world that God is preparing for you. We have to look forward to the world God is preparing for you. C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were best friends. Uh, They loved to read uh, fiction, uh, fairy stories, stories of magic and adventure. Uh, But there were only so many good stories. And early in their friendship, they set out to write the sort of stories that they loved to read. And they wanted to do that together. It didn't take long, however... Uh, for Tolkien, as he writes in his, uh, in his memoir, uh, that he grew quite envious of Lewis. Lewis had written a trilogy that took place in space that sold pretty well. And then he wrote the screw tape letters. And then he wrote seven books in a world called Narnia. And they were flying off the shelves. And he was still producing and still writing things. And in all of the time that Lewis produced all of these wonderful stories and more, Tolkien hadn't produced one book. In 37 years, he had written and rewritten and rewritten probably over 10 times the book he was working on, but it was never good enough for him. And so he could never send it to the publisher. It was not good enough. He kept rewriting it, rewriting it, rewriting it, until he got to the point where he was so envious of Lewis and so frustrated that he couldn't write the story that he wanted, that he imagined in his mind, that he got writer's block and he quit. He couldn't make the book as perfect as he wanted, so after 37 years of trying, he quit. And then one night he had a dream. One night he had a dream, and he woke up and he wrote that dream down into a story, and after that story, he was okay. The story was called Leaf by Niggle. Leaf by Niggle. It's a story about an artist named Niggle uh, who was commissioned to paint a giant mural on the side of Town Hall by the town uh, leaders. And Niggle goes and he he begins to work on the project and he spends some weeks and months and then years to, to paint. He wants to paint this beautiful tree on the side of Town Hall. But after years, he could only paint one leaf, one little bitty leaf, way down in the corner. That's all he could do. And so after years, uh, the, uh, after years of painting, the town leaders come to him, to Niggle, and they're angry. And they say, we paid you all of this money to paint this huge mural for us. And all we've gotten after years of work is this tiny little bitty leaf. And he said, I know, I'm trying, I'm trying, I just can't get it right. A little while after that, Niggle died. And Niggle was on a train to paradise. 
And as he was traveling on the train to paradise, he saw something up on top of the hill, and he yelled for the train to stop. Everybody stop. And the train stopped, and he got out of the hill. Uh, he got out of the train, and he runs up the hill, and he says, it's my tree. He says, it's the tree. It's my tree. And stood before him, it says, was the tree, his tree, finished. Its leaves opening, its branches bending in the wind. The tree that Niggle so often grasped but failed to catch. He gazed at the tree and opened his arms and said, it's a gift. You see, Tolkien realized that there is a real tree. And someday, everyone is going to see it. That there is a story that he is trying to tell. And someday everyone is going to see the perfect story that only he can in his heart and his mind see right now. But one day everyone will see it. When he realized that in the future, that the deepest desires of his heart were at last going to arrive on these broken shores. He was able to deal with the incompleteness now. It enabled him to write the Lord of the Rings. Knowing it wasn't perfect, but that the perfect story would one day come. And that the hope of that future kingdom of God helped him to deal with his envy today to be content in the now. It gave him the joy and the story that God allowed him to write this side of heaven, imperfect as it was. You see, envy doesn't bait its hooks. Envy makes you miserable. It sucks the joy out of your life. Adam and Eve, through envy, brought about this broken world that we live in today. But Jesus... Through contentment, even when his life was ending horribly, even when everything was going wrong, Jesus, not being envious of everyone else but being content, is bringing a better world, a world we can scarcely imagine even now. So count your blessings. Enjoy the gifts of God. Worship God and bathe in his beauty and grandeur and look forward to the blessings that the Savior is bringing and then we might be able to scroll through our social media. Then we might be able to scroll through social media and compare without being envious, without comparing our lives to theirs. Instead, we might be thankful that our dear friends have some vacation and we get to celebrate with them that they get it. That some dear friends bought a new house and we're thankful that they got it. We can celebrate and praise with and for them that they have the things that they have and be glad for them and for ourselves. Be glad in what the Savior has given us today. And be content with that. Let's pray. Father, this is a, a struggle we all face, envy. A struggle that uh, is hard because it masks itself from us. We don't clearly see it all the time, but it is one that sucks the very life from us. Sucks the joy from our bones. And so, Father, would you first give us the eyes to see our own envy. Eyes to see the comparisons we make and the, the lives we wish we had. And give us the ability by counting our blessings, by trusting your goodness, by looking to you, by looking forward. Help us to see that in the present moment right now, God, that we are right where you want us to be. That we're right here in the life, no matter how hard our life is, no matter the things we don't have, that we're right here where you want us to be. And that there is great joy to be had in the midst of our own mess. And that those people's messes over there, that's their mess. And their joy is in the mess. This is our mess and our joy in this mess. So God, help us to find contentment and joy in the life you've given us and in the things you continue to provide. But Father, if, we're, if there's someone in this room who doesn't know Jesus, contentment will never come. They'll always be envious. If you don't know Jesus this morning, that's the first step. To, to meet him as Lord and Savior 
a Savior who would go to a cross to give his life for you, that you might have the riches of the kingdom of God and never be envious again because you have everything you've ever could imagine and more. Father, help us to put this sin to death that we might enjoy the life you've given us. Father, we love you so much. In Christ's name we pray. All those people said, let's stand and sing together. I'll be over here. I'd love to pray with you about anything.